0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I want to talk about something that maybe has fallen off the radar I don't know too many people that have pressed into the subject. It's not culturally safe uh, to, to bring what I believe God's word is um, telling us to in, in this context of the church. Yet I find that every true believer has this longing for something that um, uh, seems to be out of the grasp as we go through church experience, particularly here in North America. And I think what God has started to do here is changing some of that. So let me ask this. Let me start this. Before we turn our attention to God's word, let me start by asking this question. When I say the word church, what comes to your mind? Family, people, community. For some, it's ritual. You see how that can be true? For some, it's boring. You see how that can be true. For some, it's um, abuse. For some, it's ineffective. For some, it's life-giving, encouraging. I think I heard that word. For some, it's it's a transforming and loving. And the reality is that each of us has a definition. Maybe you weren't even able to verbalize it, but uh, we have, for whatever reason in the last year or so, we have a tremendous amount of people coming from a variety of church backgrounds into the church in Traverse City in particular that have what they would term, I, I got a lot of hurt, Pastor. Got a lot of hurt. And maybe that's your experience with some church hurt in the background. I want to kind of in a sideways address that today. And many think, unfortunately, in our culture, if, if you say the word church to someone particularly outside of a loving community of faith, the first thing that comes to mind from someone in the community often is, oh, church, judgmental, critical, hypocritical. God has something better for his children. And I see that plastered all over his word. That's what I want to talk about today under this banner of the essential church. Now, I could have gone to many texts, a bunch of texts in the New Testament. In fact, some 114 times the New Testament uses this Greek word, ekklesia, that is uh, translated in our English translations as the word church. Now, it's... um, uh, I, I don't think that you could read it. In fact, let me just put it this way. If you read it without any background of your experience of church, if you were just taking for the first time and opening God's Word and flipping through the New Testament and you're looking for every 114th of those times the word church is used, it would be impossible for you to come away with this idea that church could be something that you watch online. Impossible you can't do it. That's a presupposition based upon our cultural experience. Now, I am not, we we publicize our services online, and I can't tell you after, uh, um, uh, can I say the word COVID? Can I say that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, After that, there were still a lot of people, oh, pastor, I've been attending here for two years. I'm like, I've never seen your face before. I love you. Well, I've been online. Uh, That's that's watching a service, commendable. So glad that you connected with it. But listen, you're not experiencing the life of the body like God's word describes it. And I'd so love to introduce you to our real church. Okay, tracking with me? It's not culturally acceptable. I hope I'm not making anyone squirm here. I know Pastor Brian preaches God's word, so this might be right in line with where he's at. You couldn't read God's word and come away from thinking that you are called to be committed to the church if you were to look at those 114 references. In fact, the only way you could be exempt from it is if you were physically unable to connect. So I wanna reorient our mindset of church biblically and let God's word be the banner over us that we sing and say that it is and let his word and his wisdom reorient Any of the background and past that you and I have about church and simply look at what a biblical church, the essential church, and what God is doing in and through it. Uh, So the first, I have four points, four simple points. Um, Do you have notes, by the way? Okay, so if there's notes, I suggest that you take notes maybe and you can pepper... Pastor Brian with questions when he gets back, if you have questions about the sermon. Um, um, but here's, here's the point. I have four points. Most of them, this is an odd sermon for me. I was always taught in seminary. If you go and preach somewhere, uh, the easiest sermons to land for application, particularly in a guest type of environment, are ones that are narratives. So for instance, you tell a story. You give one of Jesus healings or a story about Jesus doing something. You go to the Old Testament, David and Goliath. Jonah and the fish or the whale. Uh, uh, um, we have all kinds of narrative stories in the Old and New Testament, and that is by far the best preaching. Uh, this sermon is not that. I totally avoided all previous advice, and I'm just going right. So the first three points are a little teachy. Then the fourth point really gets back to the text that we're studying and going to give some application for us. With that, say amen if you're with me in Ephesians chapter 4. You there? Okay. He says this in verse 11. Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, and he gave, that's God, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. By the way, you might want to note that is not an exhaustive list. That is just rather a list of some of the leadership in the church. And so so God gave those to the church for what purpose? Well, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Well, that sounds good. How long did he give them? Well, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, that's, that's how long God's going to be doing this thing. Well, why did he give it? Well, it says for our growth. Look at verse 14, so that we Me and you in the church may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together together, By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the reading of His Word today. Here's the biblical assumption about church the vertical change that God has worked for every believer. The vertical change. I now have a new position. I am justified before God. I am perfect in Christ. And now, because of that vertical change, he's given us a new heart and a new mind, a new way of connecting with God himself, the Father, through the person of Jesus Christ. That vertical change radically transforms and equates to a horizontal change so that I desire to connect and grow more in Christlikeness. That's the assumption about church. Now, I put this... And I hope, I hope you'll jot this down. Church, here's kind of my big point. Church is crucial to my growth as a Christian. It's not optional. We say often that God gave us his word, God gave us his Holy Spirit, but God also gave us one another for the purpose of growth. That's exactly what this text is saying. Church is crucial. Uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, if you haven't read it, I really commend it. It's a great foundational book uh, for Christians. He he has a quote in there that says this, speaking about um, one another. He says, he, God, works on us through each other. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. By the way, the wise family trio there for... That song just landed our hearts on the realization of the distance that God came for us because of his love for us. Unbelievable. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. It's easy to think of church as education, buildings, missions, holding services, But the church exists for no other purpose but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christs. That's greater Christ-likeness for me and for you. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. It's the purpose of the church. Um, John Wesley, uh, one of the Wesley brothers, said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. So gone from a true Christian's speak, speaking is this thought, well, my, my spiritual life is really private. I'm not sharing it with, with others. Really? That's distinctly unbiblical. Now, I hope you take that with all love that I intended. So I have four points about the church. First three, again, more like a lesson, and then some application to chew on in a process. Number one in your notes, God's mission is the church. It is the church. We have this unique distinct ability in the states in particular to make it an individual thing like God came for you. Yes, but there's a bigger picture that he places you part of, and that is he is forming and shaping a beautiful, wonderful bride called the church for his son. That's the mission that God is on. So a macro view of the entire Bible, if you were to take the entirety of Scripture and look at it and go, ask the question, what is God doing? For sure, he's bringing salvation, but he's also forming a beautiful bride for the glory of his Son, Jesus. That's what God the Father is doing at present. That's the church. He's assembling a host of people for his Son, That's why it's likened uh, in the the New Testament to the bride, to the body, to the building. In fact, C.S. Lewis goes on and continues that above quote. He says this, God became man for no other purpose. It is doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose other than God's glory. So that's the basic definition of church. It's a people called out by God to bring the glory of Jesus Christ by the power of Jesus Christ, through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Colossians 1, if you haven't read that lately, this overwhelming passage about the beauty of Christ and all that he is, connects it to the church, says this, he has, in verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's the vertical transition. the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. God's purpose and mission is the church. Now, for sure, this is talking about the universal aspect of the church. So not local, necessarily. In fact, being a Christian is joining the mission of God, and in theory, this broader idea of what some would say a universal church, but the church in general, once you are a Christian, you become part of the Bride of Christ. The, the question is, are you connected in a local, tangible way to that Bride? I know you're familiar with Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what Pastor Brian's doing right now. Baptizing them in the name of the Father uh, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the great, what is it? Co-mission. Not alone. Not alone. It's together, yes, with God, but with one another. Disciples of Christ, it's the great commission. It's mission together. So point one is simply this. God's mission is the church, and I can prove that from a variety of angles and won't take any more time on that point, but point number two is this. Jesus promised the church can't be stopped. Do you know this? If you're giving your life to, an, uh, uh, to something, wouldn't it be great to know that that thing would go on perpetually and cannot be stopped by any government, by any king, by any, any disease, by no matter what happens with the world, it's something that's going to outlive you? I'd say that's a fantastic investment. Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, that the very gates of hell will not prevail against him forming his church, the bride. That's not separate from even how God has worked in my heart to give my life to this thing called church that we're doing right now. It's like, if I'm going to invest. Yes, other things are great. I'm not, not diminishing other capacities. In fact, I believe even daily work is called to be an aspect of our worship of God, uh, no matter what job you have. But uh, if, if, if we have the option, if we have the ability to sow and invest in something, why would we choose anything other than the perpetual, ongoing promise of God and his strength to sustain at church? I mean, if I offered you an investment, one of 50% chance of probability of a return and the other of 100% guaranteed return, which would you take? Right? That's the argument. It's an argument from logic. Of course you take the 100%. And Jesus promised that the church is not disconnected from his power. He's going to to sustain her. It's not separate, by the way, from Matthew 6.20, where Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven. So that means that investment in the church is not only wise, but it's co-laboring with how God's at work. Not just money, great job on raising money for the next building. I hope that that's a tool for the Richmond area for many people to come to know Jesus Christ, amen? I think it's awesome. But of energy and in serving, we say in Traverse City, are you shouldering weekly kingdom responsibilities of what it means to be a family of faith? Uh, Turn it upside down, not 10% of people doing the work of what it means to be a family. Flip that upside down, but maybe 10% are just guests, but 90% are shouldering the weekly kingdom responsibilities of what it means to be a family of faith. I'm not sure what kind of house you grew up in. I grew up in a house with a lot of kids, and I learned from age three on that everyone had a job to do. And mine transitioned through the years as I grew up, First it was emptying trash, then it was feeding the dogs, and then eventually it was mowing the lawn and emptying trash and feeding the dogs. <laughs> and by the way, that's, we instilled that into our kids. This is what we do because you're, you're a long, you're part of the long family. So that means we clean up after dinner, and this is not on one person, unless they lost the game. <laughs> you know, we, sometimes we play a game. Uh, but, but everyone pitches in. That's what it means to be a house. It's not all mom and dad doing the work. We're a family. Right? Are you here at Grace Community shouldering weekly kingdom responsibilities of what it means for this church to be a church? Some would argue, well, Pastor Doug, you said that doesn't being a Christian make me part of the universal church? Absolutely. But do you know out of the 114 times that word in the Greek Bible is used, 102 of them are definitively local, always attached to Jerusalem, to Thessalonica, to Laodicea, to Philippi. Local churches for the per- So that means that the one another commands are distinctly local. Let me, let me get that. Here's, here's point three commitment to a church then is biblical. Let me give you some just biblical examples. Um, The Apostle Paul says, appoint elders in every church. Uh, You can't do that universally. Uh, Discipline for the distinctly hardened and unrepentant happens inside the context of a family of faith that is loving. That can only happen in the context of a local church family. If you're sick, call the elders. That has no meaning apart from a local church. Uh, in Hebrews 13, it says, to obey those who teach God's word over you. That has no meaning in a universal church. You still tracking with me, church? You still church? Amen? Still still on board with me, or did I lose you somewhere? Okay, good, just checking, checking making sure you're here. 40 plus times that scripture gives a direct command to be part of one another's lives has no context if I'm just watching online. It means that we're called to be part of the beauty and the mess. Of what it means to be smushed into a space like we are this morning. But it can't be something just like, hi, welcome to church, bye, go home, and go on with the rest of the week. God called us to infinitely something better than that. Now, I realize this is countercultural to many because, and maybe not for you, I hope it's not for you but because we are so fiercely individualistic and the highest cultural commodity often in our uh, uh, life right now is personal autonomy, it seems like the biblical command to be part of a church seems weird. But God is calling us to be part of his mission and in that you actually find purpose and the very thing that our hearts, if they've been changed by Christ, God has placed there this desire for one another. Now let's look a little more closely now. Point four, and I want to camp on this a little longer. You thought I was done with sermon because I'm just flying through the points. Mm-mm. <laughs> Number four is this. Not just commitment to the church is biblical, but I need the church to help me grow more like Jesus Christ. And where do I see that? Look at verse thirteen. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Wait, do, does anyone have some more knowledge they need to learn about Jesus? Anyone? I'd fall into that category for sure, and I get paid to study God's Word. It's amazing to me. What a what a gig, right? I get paid to study God's word. That is God's grace to me because he knew I'd be off in la-la land somewhere doing some stupid stuff if I wasn't connected more than maybe you need to be connected to God's word. I don't know. (laughs) But what a great job. So uh, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, get this, to mature manhood and womanhood, and here's the, here's the measure. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of who? Anyone made that yet? In fact, I don't know if you're comfortable doing this. I hope you are. I, I play these games with our congregation sometime. You need to turn to the person next to you and just look at them and tell them these words. You've not made it. Go ahead and do that. Right? Just tell them you haven't made it yet. <laughs> That was code for saying, you need Jesus. (laughs) The reality is, none of us have made it. We're all in this process of being sanctified by God's grace. And there are areas of each one of our lives where God, as we take steps of faith, reveals to us, man, you're, you're not even close to what I call you to be like in forgiveness, in trust, in love, in kindness of speech. I feel like Jesus, if you he here today, he would say, hey, Christians, uh, not just kindness of speech, but kindness in Facebook posts. Or, or whatever. So here, here's the idea. We all have room to grow, and you're not, and I'm not being done yet being made into the image of our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus. Now, a little bit of the fun, and I I love all the the little bit of laughing that took place when you turned to your person sitting next to you and said, you know, basically you're not done yet. Mm -hmm. Be careful because that's distinctly, we can have fun with that, but when it turns to bitterness and when it turns to looking at everything everyone else is shortfall in, in in growing like Christ it distinctly takes our eyes and spotlights it on everyone else oh this happens all the time in marriages we spotlight the the faults of the other instead of turning that spotlight directly back onto us be careful of that cuz that happens in churches Well-intentioned, biblically grounded, doctrinally accurate churches where they start shining the spotlight of the sin on everyone else and they miss the sin in their own lives. So be careful of pointing the finger at others' need for growth and missing your own. Now this is why encouragement in the church is critical and I hope that as we're growing into this in Traverse City, even this fall, we're taking some intentional steps. And, I, and just in talking to Pastor Brian, I think that is beginning here as well. Maybe you have it way better than we do. And I hope that's the case, that when you thought of the word church, you thought of the word encouragement. That when you leave here, it wasn't, oh, I'm exhausted. Oh, that was boring. Oh, that was tiring. But that somehow you left the service and you left small group going, man, I'm so encouraged to walk more faithfully with the Lord because I got some steps to grow in and I'm not alone in my need of growth. I have some brothers and sisters in Christ who are picking me up on either side. And there's some in front of me that are ahead of me in my spiritual walk. And there's some that are definitely behind me and I'm able to help them. And I have some brothers and sisters beside me. that So when I fall and trip, they can hold me up with my arms and they can say, hey, we're not stopped walking with God yet. Come on. That's what church should be. Do you have that? It's far less of an organizational chart if you're from a business background and you're like, what's the org chart? I think there can be a few org charts in church. God's given elders In our economy, that's synonymous biblically with the word pastor. Great, but you know, it's far more like a a cluster of grapes. We're all attached to the vine, Jesus Christ, and we're growing and seeking to grow, and we're all smushed together, touching each other. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. But we're growing, and we're helping each other grow. We're all connected to the vine. So my question is, how are you helping others grow in church? Or are you coming just to get and not to give? And I believe there are seasons, and you should get, but Jesus says this, it's better to, re- to give than to receive. So if we come just to get something, you're missing out on the better thing that Jesus says was better. That's why serving is so critical in the church. Well, that, Amen, Pastor Doug, that was good. That was good preaching. <laughs> So you want to see what Apostle Paul says are a few things to grow in? Letter A in your notes. I'm growing and speaking the truth in love. That's why verse 15, he says, rather, now that's an opposition type of word, so rather than, previously getting tossed around with all kinds of doctrines, he says, rather than that, rather than not growing in Christ, Rather than being stagnant, rather than thinking church is judgmental only, rather speaking the truth in what? Love. Why are you growing and speaking the truth in love? My wife can tell you, I haven't made it yet. Oh, I wish I was instantly glorified. But this is not just speaking the truth. How many of you are truth tellers? Like you love telling people truth. Amen, my brothers and sisters. (laughs) (laughs) I I have this uncanny spiritual gift of walking into a room and finding 10 things wrong with it. Anyone else (laughs) have that gift? I don't know what it is. Sin, pride, (laughs) to be honest. And the the work of the Spirit in my life, personal illustration, is growing in my ability to see how God is at work in one another's lives and amplifying and spotlighting that, not all the ways that you're failing. Oh, I wish I would have learned this better when my kids were three and four. It's the sharing of how God is at work in you that encourages one another. So I'm growing in speaking the truth in love. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, now let me take the flip side. Some are not truth people, but are so grace-bent people that you want to take, well, I'm, you've been friends with someone for eight years and you still haven't snuck in Jesus yet. So, so are you speaking the truth in love? So as Christians, Paul is giving us here a, a, a great prescription, never shy away from speaking the truth. Not a difficult truth, even. Truth that people don't necessarily, uh, you wouldn't think, want to hear, that they want to hear. By the way, you speak the truth not to argue, not to point out a fault, not to wound, but how? The manner is in love. Truth in love. So there's two criterias for Christian speech has to be truthful, and it has to be loving. That means that we're called to be truth-tellers in love even if we're unsure of the response of the person hearing. Or to give wise thought to it, but we're not to withhold truth. Why? Because if it's truth and love, it's distinctly for the benefit of the other person. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 come to mind. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as the manner of some is. By the way, that's a pastor's preacher's favorite verse. Don't neglect to meet together. How many of you have heard that before from Hebrews 10? It's really not the intent of the verse. The why we're not to, meet, to stop meeting together is radically important. So not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch... So stir up means, stir up literally means to spur on, even sometimes through irritation. Like, man, they keep, they keep poking me. Irritation. Yeah, follow Christ. Follow Christ. There's some of that that is distinctly uh, appropriate inside the church. So all encouragement does not mean it feels good. Sometimes we need people to, to encourage us in ways that we don't readily in our flesh want to be encouraged. Amen. So that should happen in the church. But that's not the only thing that should happen in the church. You should be encouraged in how others are seeing Christ in you grow you in your walk with the Lord. So what does this verse actually mean? So consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting, but encouraging. The truth is that what the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to know that if you neglect church, you're neglecting the source of encouragement in following Christ in your life. That's why church is distinctly called to be encouraging. Are you speaking the truth in love when you see others? I I love Romans 15. I say this to our greeting team all the time. Romans 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Have you ever given... A a, a minute of thought to how Christ welcomed you. May I suggest that how Christ welcomed you was far more than a hi, welcome to church. All right, have a good day. Far more than that. Do you know that Christ knows everything about you? Every sin every wicked thought, and He loves you. He loves you. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church where we are welcoming one another like Christ welcomed us? That's the safe place to be known and loved. That's the place where growth is thriving. That's what the church is called to be. Now, there's some substitutes for truth-telling for sure. Uh, This happens in churches. Be careful of this, Grace Community, be careful of this, Um, uh, uh, amplifying the non-essential. It's a, it's a substitute for truth-telling and real genuine relationship in the church. It's where uh, I start to hobby horse and soapbox some certain things. Like I get sidetracked in my spiritual growth and the beauty of one another relationships. It's where, verse 14, it says they're tossed around by every wind of doctrine. And so it's easy for churches to get hijacked on things like, can I just name them? Am I safe to name them? Like prophecy. They're scholars from all kinds of ages, much wiser than myself, and if I can so boldly say, wiser than Pastor Brian, who have studied and have come on either sides of, well, when is the return of Christ? Well, when, what's going to happen? When's the rapture? When's all this? And you can have a, a doctrinal statement that this church believes, and that's fine, but that's not the primary issue of God's word and not the primary issue of what he's intending to do in the church. I mean, Jesus Christ... Himself said, "Uh, my father alone knows the time. I don't even know the time. So get off the time. And when we amplify the non-essential, like, where did Eve get her belly button? And we start just thinking about that kind of stuff. And (laughs) gifts, we stay on the edge of what God hasn't made abundantly crystal clear in His Word, and we miss the meat of God's Word, which is, are we growing in Christlikeness? likeness Or it says, um, not by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning. I would term that as an unhealthy focus on a perceived outcome where the desired end goal justifies the means. This is where church becomes entertainment, where church becomes um, 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 uh, where church staff becomes um, basically glorified event planners. Where, where somehow we want to have all these events and events and events and sneak Jesus in at the end. Well, that's not what the Bible describes as a church either. Or it says, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This would be what I would term devising a scheme for personal benefit. Uh, And I've been around church. I don't know if your background has allowed you to be around church ministry, but there are distinctly people who want to leverage the church family because there's a group of people here leverage the church family for political reasons, for business reasons, personally, whether it's Amway or Shackley or your essential oil business. And I'm not against essential oils. Thieves is awesome. But that's the that's I, I just stepped on someone's toes. I'm sorry, I don't know you, so I'm free to speak this way. But that's not the purpose of church either, biblically. And it would be unloving for anyone to let that perpetuate. I'm not against leveraging relationship. I'm against letting that be the primary reason that we go to church. Letter B. Not just I'm growing and speaking the truth in love, but I'm growing in a measurable way. It's almost as the apostle Paul just kind of keeps increasing and turning the clamp and vice a little tighter and he's squeezing us. I'm growing in a measurable way. Well, where do you get that, Pastor Doug? Verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ. So I have to give some thought to the every way. And then verse 16, when each part is working, ESV translates that properly. That's the Greek word metron. It literally means a measure or a measurement. That's where we get our word meter from. uh, It means accountable, measured, and assessed. Um, I don't know how many, of you, how many of you live by a personal budget. You have a budget, that, just financial budget. I, I have a love-hate relationship. Christy and I decided before we were married that we're going to live by a budget. I, I have a love-hate relationship with budgets. Because you know what they do? They measure the areas of my life where I'm undisciplined. It is so easy. I don't know if there's any other men here that can identify with me. It is so easy to, for money to go through and flow from my wallet through my hands to places like Home Depot and to Cabela's and all the good stores. It's not even a thought. Of course God wants me to have that. Amen? Why were there no amens on that? Amen? Come on, guys. Help me out. And it shows this metron of what we've set, this meter, this gauge, and it shows areas of my life where it's undisciplined. So when it comes to our spiritual growth, and your growth particularly in a measured way, Saying you want to grow in Christ but not submitting to an assessment or measurement is the equivalent of saying you want to lose weight but never being willing to jump on a scale. Can I insert a plug for small group life? the men that I walk through life with know what I struggle with. And we pray together for it. I know what they struggle with. They know where I have a tendency to be um, not kind in my speech. And they have radars to help me not to scold me, not to beat me over the head with some accountability stick, whatever that is, not to bust my kneecaps off, not to do any, just no, 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 but to encourage me, to help me. We've even said with the guys part of my life, because budget is a real thing, if you're married, it's a real thing for you too, even if you don't know it. We've even said our personal finances are open to one another, dig, assess. Just last week, I don't. I, I, I'm trusting this is a safe place. Just last week, in a time of prayer, I'm like, guys, there's there's some spots on Facebook. I don't know why they're populating, but it's things that I shouldn't be looking at. So I want you to check with me. Because I've yielded that. I've given up to God. I'm not going to watch those anymore. I don't need to scroll through all the great hunting videos on Facebook and come across one that's not appropriate. So guys, I want you to hold me accountable. I want that measurement in my life. I'm not strong enough to do it on this own. And even if I were, why would I exempt the glory of Christ that might be mutually encouraging to all of us? Because I'm guessing my life's not too different from your life. Metron. I'm growing in a measurable way. Is there more of Christ in your life today and less of you than there was last year? Letter C, lastly, it's this. I'm growing in my love for others. Growing in my love for others. It says this, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly what happens makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Builds itself up in love. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus says this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. Apostle Paul wrote, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. My point is this, it starts with the church. This kind of community that our hearts long for begins here. The one another's are for inside the church. It's from here that we learn, just like a family, my kids learn to work and do some chores and say, yes sir, yes ma'am, and obey, even when they didn't want to. They learn that in the house so that they would be Good citizens of the country that we live in, and good employees of the bosses that they work for. Make sense? The church is to be an incubator so that as you go out through this week on Monday that you're so wrecked by the beauty of Jesus Christ that you go, you know what, I'm changed and on Monday the joy that you had and encouragement you had on Sunday is still sustaining you so you go to your schools, you go to your work, you go to the gym and you say, guess what, I have the answer and it's not anything I've done. The answer is the one and only person of Jesus Christ. That's how... It's how Richmond's reached. It's how Traverse City's reached. It's how churches in Africa are reached. It's when you're so encouraged about what God has done for you and continues to do in your growth that it spills over into the routine parts of our lives. The essential church. Are you plugged in? Are you part? Are you growing? You pray with me. Father, God, I pray that you would allow this church in particular not to miss the joy of what it means to be the church. God, you change us through your Spirit. You change us through the Word. God, you change us in our relationship and our access to the Father. And Father, I thank you so much for that. It's all through the glorious person of Jesus Christ and him alone that we have the privilege of even praying. And so God, as we see you at work in one another's lives, help us to simply encourage one another in that. And may this place, this church, be a spot that's not only doctrinally correct about the gospel but also how that gospel radically transforms relationships as well and that this church would increasingly be known in Richmond as a place that people are known through and through and loved through and through Father, right now, would you root out any parts of our lives where we're not seeing the beauty of Christ? Where we're more about building our kingdom than your kingdom? Would you root that out right now? And may we simply yield to you in saying, Jesus, we love you. We're yours. It's in the name of Christ, I pray.